Praise the Lord. I just want to take a look around and connect with everybody. You know, sometimes we can get so busy in the course of the week that we lose sight of the most important things. We lose connection, I would say, with the intimacy with God. Especially if we're busy at work or we're busy in the office and, and, and we have one appointment right after the other and we could be going from one thing to the next. And I kind of liken it to this. When, when that happens to me, it's like I'm the pinball, that, that silver ball. And, and, and I get up in the morning and I pray and I pull that plunger back and then I go from one bounce to another bounce to another bounce to another bounce. And the only thing I could do is maybe control those flappers. But at night when I get tired, the flappers quit flapping and I lay down on the bed and I'm ready to start it all over again. And that, that's when life happens to you. And that's when life happens to me. And God, God wants so much more for us. You know, Jesus said, a thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he said, but, you, but I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly, have it to its full. We're, we're to live life. We're, we're, to, we're to change the things around us, not just accept them. That's part of being a Christian is he has been made both Lord and Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he, he told us to do some things. But we go out and we transform people's lives and we transform our community and we transform the place that we work. That transformation begins in us, doesn't it? And it's hard to be that agent of transformation if we lose connection with him throughout the week. I didn't say you walk out of salvation. I didn't say that you're going to hell. I didn't say anything like that. What I mean is you lose connection. Your spirit closes up. You're not open to the voice of God. And I want you to know that if you struggle with that, you're not the only one. I think every single one of us do. The best place to be is in the presence of God. The safest place to be is in the will of God. But if we're not aware of his presence, it's hard to be in his will for the day. And he, he came not only to forgive our sins, he came to recreate our spirits. When we make him our Lord and our Savior, yes, he puts away our sins and he forgives us, but that gives him the, the right, the legal access to recreate your human spirit. And then he'll pour his spirit inside of you and he'll be with you wherever you go. It'd be like being in the mall with your wife, but ignoring her. He did that so he would always be with you, not just so you have a companion. He did that so you could draw upon his love, upon his grace, upon his mercy, upon his power, upon his ability, so that you could go through your normal day supernaturally. So you could go through the activities of your day, not by your own strength alone. It will require your strength, but God always puts something on top of it to make what you do better. It's as if you put your hand to something and there's 10 more invisible hands on top of it. Even the angels will get involved when you're aware of his presence and following him. Life with God is good. Life without God is miserable. 
And I, I hate to say this, a lot of the church, not, not maybe this, but a lot of the church live their week without God and they come Sunday morning and they reconnect with him. And that connection is all they have all week long. And they wonder why they live a life that is below the standard that Jesus came Jesus came to give us a life that is better. Jesus came to give us an overcoming life. That doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. Because if you're a Christian, you're going to have struggles. That doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Yes, you're going to have trials. You're even going to have a lot of temptations. And it may even be harder at times being a Christian than not being a Christian because you're trying to make a difference in your world and in the lives of others. And it is difficult but he's always with you, not as a companion only. He's with you so that you could draw upon his strength and his ability and his power. And Pastor Nietzsche and I have been in ministry over two decades. I think we're coming up on 25 years. And we've noticed that there are people in the body of Christ that live below, constantly they live, consistently they live below an overcoming life. They live below what Jesus came to give us. They're frustrated and they're confused even though they go to church. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. They're confused. They're, 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 they're constantly in debt. They never have enough and their glass is not just half empty in their mind. It's half empty physically. But Jesus came to give us an overcoming life. And so we've noticed there's nine habits that those who live an overcoming life in Christ, that they, they, that they have in their life, and those nine habits, are they're just basic Christian disciplines, but that doesn't mean that the people who are living an overcoming life in Christ don't struggle. I don't want you to get that impression that, that they never get sick, that they never have a bad report, that they never have a business deal go bad. But what happens is when they fall, they get back up, and they get back up strong, and they get back up quick. When they, when they get sick, recovery comes. It may come in a lot of different forms, but they recover. You see, there's something in the life of somebody who's walking in Christ. And, and to make sure that, that our spirits are open, to make sure that connection with God is, is like this, not like this. These nine habits, here, here's what those nine habits of an overcoming follower of Christ. We put the word of God first. That's number one. Number two, we're constantly in prayer. That doesn't mean we're on our knees 24 hours a day, but our spirits are open. We're communing with God. We're having conversation with him throughout the day. No, number three, we consider our ways. And if you remember, we studied that a couple weeks ago. That means when the Bible says consider your ways, literally in the Hebrew, it means that we, we consider our paths of yesterday. Because the paths of yesterday has brought us to the place that we are today. And if the paths of yesterday have brought us to the place today, if we don't consider our ways and make changes according to what the Spirit is showing us and what the Word of God says, then we're just going to keep having the same results over and over and over again. So, so what do we do? We put the Word of God first because that's what we judge and we consider our ways by. We're in prayer constantly so we can use the, what the Spirit is revealing us, to us to consider our ways. And we consider our ways and we make little changes every single day if we can to keep altering the course to our destiny and our, our, our eventual destiny is heaven but we're supposed to make a difference between now and between then number four is we are missional everybody say missional 
And we're going to talk about that today. Number five, we are generous. Number six, we attend church and we participate in the church community. This is a big one, and we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk about that because you may not see it. You're always going to be part of the body of Christ, but to be an effective and an overcoming Christian, you need to have some Jesus with skin on. Because everybody loves the Jesus without skin on. But when Jesus, you know what? You are part of the body of Christ. So here's Jesus all around you in one way, shape, or form or the other. And we have problems with Jesus with skin on. Every one of us do. And it's the Jesus with skin on that perfects us. And it's the Jesus with skin on the, in the government of the church that equips us. We need it desperately bad. You'll never stop being part of the body of Christ. But if you want to be effective in the body of Christ, then you got to participate in, in, in the Jesus with skin on in the church. Can you say amen? No, number seven, we serve others. Number eight, we practice gratitude. And number nine, I can't wait till we get there, we produce joy. When you walk into a dark room, see, it's supposed to get lighter. When you walk into chaos, things are supposed to start to make sense. When you walk into a place where there's depression, peace that passes all understanding is released. You understand? Because you're not walking in there alone. You're walking in there with the one who hung every star in place, the one who dug the Grand Canyons, the one who filled the oceans. You're walking in there with the author and the perfecter of our faith. <laughs> And when you walk in, you have the answers to questions that people don't even know they're asking. Praise God. See, I'm, I, I, I'm going to get excited about that one. So let's talk about missional today. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. We, we want to review. If we're missional, we have to understand that we have been given a commission and a command. A commission and a command. You know, being a Christian is very, very simple, guys. We, we love God with all of our heart. We love God with all of our heart. We love one another. We love God with all of our heart. We love one another. Oh, being a Christian is really simple. Let me say that again. We love God with all of our heart, and we love one another. Then we lead people to Let me show you something. See, 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 see that, that cross there? We love God. That's the vertical pole on the cross. We're really good at that. But we love each other. That's the horizontal where the hands go out and you kind of become helpless. It's this part that we have a problem with. But when we're loving God and we're loving others, then we love the people in the world to Jesus. We lead them to Jesus and then we teach them how to follow him. It's that simple. We made it so complicated. We have all these pet doctrines in the church. Well, we sprinkle, we dunk, we, we believe in tongues. We don't believe in tongues. We believe the miracles cease. We believe the miracles are for today. You know what? The most important thing is that Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way to eternity. And when you believe in him, he, he'll, give, he'll give you eternal life and you'll enter into salvation. That's the important thing. We love we lead and we teach. So we've been given a commission and a command. Let me go through the commission with you first. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. 
The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, God incarnate. Jesus, God come in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus walked on the earth as a man. He, 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 three years of beautiful, miraculous ministry. And then he was crucified. And on that cross, he bore your sin in his flesh. He separated your sin from you through his death. He suffered the agony of death and then God raised him from the dead. Jesus ascended to the Father by, with his own blood. That's in the book of Hebrews. And, and, and he presented some things to God. And then he came back down on the earth. And you might miss this, but it's in the book of Acts chapter 1. That Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And he talked to, ministered to, and taught over 500 men about the kingdom of God. Wow. Hold on now. I want you to get this. Jesus' ministry for three and a half years was miraculous. It was incredible. The teaching was, is so, so full. We're still learning from it today, continually learning from it today. But after his resurrection, he was made both Lord and Christ. He saw God face to face, and then he came back down to the earth. He was given, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus was made King of kings and Lord of lords at that resurrection when he was glorified in that ceremony in heaven. And then he came back down, and he taught with that authority, that knowledge, that ability. I'm telling you, that glory for 40 days. Can you imagine what was said? Can you imagine the things he taught? Can you, can you imagine the revelation that, was, that he was pouring out into these 500 disciples? But yet, God who inspired every word of the Bible, every word of the scripture, only recorded five things that were said. One is at the end of Matthew, one is at the end of Luke, one, one very general one is at the end of John, and then, and then we have one in Mark chapter 16, and then we have Acts chapter 1, 5. And they're less than a paragraph, some of them are only a sentence. That's content. So let, let's be generous and say five paragraphs are recorded of what Jesus spoke over those 40 days. Now God inspired, every word of God is God breathed, God inspired. Men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the, the word of God says. So God directed five paragraphs, and that's being generous, to be written about what Jesus said during those 40 days. And do you know what all of them are about? The commission, our purpose. See, we think we come to Christ and, and, and praise God, then we struggle through life and then we get to heaven and we've won. No, that's not what it's about. We come to Christ to lead others to Christ. Jesus started, he said, Jesus said, the son of man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. I don't care how you cut it up. Let's just put it this way. You are part of the body of Christ. Therefore, your mission is his mission. Your mission is to seek and to save the lost. We're talking about the commission, okay? You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's the commission. 
Jesus came down with all authority in heaven and earth. And he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How is it that we, we're, we go to 66 books in the Bible and we don't get our mission? Jesus made it plain in the very beginning. He said, hey, I'm going to make you to his disciples. When he called them out of being a tax collector, when he called them out of being an architect, when he called them out of being a fisherman, when he called them out of being a businessman, when he called them out of being a shepherd type, he said, come and I'm going to make you what? Huh? What did he say? Fishers of men. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're fishers of men. And we should be hunting people. I like to hunt deer. I do. I like to fill the freezer with deer. I love, I love everything about it. But you know, I hunt people. I hunt relationships. I hunt, I hunt people who need Jesus. It's my mission. He said, well, you've got the, you've got, you're a pastor. You're an evangelist. I'm sorry, honey, if you're in Christ and your job is to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, go and make disciples. So we got to do that. That is the commission. Now let's talk about the command because he said, and after you lead them to me, then teach them all the commands that I've given you. And right there, everybody, everybody's butthole puckers up. Oh my gosh, did I just say that? Everybody goes, you know, I mean, they get, what the, oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. No, it's not. Jesus only gave us one command. As a matter of fact, you can memorize the Old Testament. You, can, you go out there and you can read the Ten Commandments on that granite sign. But every one of those commandments are fulfilled through this one command. Jesus made it simple. Come on. He, 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 he cleared the way that God wouldn't count your sins against you. He cleared the way so that you could just do this one thing. And that one thing gives you power for your mission. And that one thing is simple. How do we fulfill our mission? We love, we lead, we teach. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, by what? By this love, one toward another, they will know that you're disciples. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If, see, you love one another. I thought they'd know that I'm a disciple because I go to church every Sunday. I thought they'd know that I'm a disciple because I got a big old leather Bible and I carry it with me everywhere I go. I thought they'd know because I have a cross on the back of my car. I, I thought they would know because I wear Christian t-shirts. Honey, that's a problem. You're, you have all, no, not you. Other people have all of those things, but they don't love one another. And so people don't recognize them as true disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to love one another, that recognition will be there. And that, listen, when you love God and you love people, guess what? That will draw people to Jesus. But who do you have the most problem loving? The people that are closest to you, the people that you expect the most. I do too. 
you know, the, 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 the hardest people that I have to love are the people right here. I have all, all these expectations and then they get disappointed all the time. But maybe those expectations are not realistic. Maybe I never communicated it. It's hard to love those in the church. Now, you don't have to answer this. Why do most people leave the church? Is it because of doctrine? No. Is it because of the worship? No. Is it because of the pastor? Usually not. It's usually because of something that starts with P and, and rhymes with Epal. And they leave the church and they become ineffective. And they just eke out their Christian life. Because the church struggles to love because we're trying to love by our own strength and our own power and our own natural ability. And it will never cut it because we're not supposed to love with human strength. We're to love with God's strength. He said, a new commandment. What does commandment mean to you? Does it sound like a suggestion? What does commandment mean to you? Jesus says a new commandment I give you. Is it optional? In, in, in Galatians chapter 5, let's read this. You know, we come to Jesus for it is by grace that you're saved through faith. Oh, this isn't from, this is not by works of the hands. So no man can boast. You're, you say by grace through faith. So you say, I'm free. I'm free. Don't try and put any laws on me. Don't try to put any commands on me. I've been set free comes with a price you have to take up the command in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 it says for you have been called to live in freedom praise the Lord I'm free my brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy your flesh or your sinful nature instead use your freedom to serve one another in love now there's the problem to serve one another for the whole law Genesis, let's say all the way through, through Malachi, the prophets, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, here, here's what we want to do. Are you with me? We want to love people with our heart, for God knows my heart. God judges my heart. You better hope that's not all he judges, because you know what's in your heart. God knows my intentions. And that's one of the biggest problems with love is we judge people by their actions. We judge people by how we perceive their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And if we had as much grace with other people, we would learn to walk in love. Come on now. Love isn't a feeling. He's not talking about that. He says, no, that we serve one another with love. Jesus said you must love. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together, and Jesus was knocking out some really good answers. And so they wanted to ask him a question. And the question was, I'm going to phrase the question to you a little bit differently. They were saying, okay, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, what's the minimum standard? What, what commandment do I have to make sure, what commands do I have to make sure that I fulfill so I can get to heaven so I can get the promise so I can get the gold ring I don't want to know all of them I just want to know the the the, the little one I want to I want to know one little one that'll make sure that I get everything done and Jesus said this he said verse 37 you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul 
all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. One translation says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. You love God and you love each other. Now you got that. You've been hearing it since you were a kid. You know why we're bad at it? Because we don't understand what love is. We think love is an ooey-gooey feeling that you get when you meet somebody. Love has to do with positive emotions. That's what love is. No, you know what? If you're really, really going to walk in love with somebody, you're not going to feel it all the time. And sometimes there are very long seasons of not feeling it. Because love isn't a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is a choice to prefer the other person. Love is a choice to care for the other person. Jesus said, if, if, if you serve one another in love, if you do something, you make a decision and you do something, you add something to somebody, you add value, you subtract from you and you add to them, even if it's a potential. You subtract a potential blessing from you and you add a potential blessing to them. You prefer them, you choose them. To choose despite how you feel, despite your circumstances, to choose one another. You wanna know how you can tell if you even have a, if you even drawn on the nature of God to choose other people? When somebody is five steps behind you, 20, how far behind you do they have to be before you will not hold the door for them? If they're, if they're halfway in the parking lot, are you going to wait for them? Well, does, are they old? Are they in a handicapped spot? If you love somebody, then you prefer, which usually takes a sacrifice of one of the things that you could never get back in S-T-I-M-E. You've got to subtract from you and give to somebody else in a manner that you're not expecting anything in return. Because if you're expecting anything in return, that's a business transaction. That's not love, baby. Love does, it cares, it chooses, and it does something to serve, and it gives something without expecting anything from that person in return. Love is a choice. Love is a preference. It's a choice. A choice to prefer. What does prefer mean? To, listen, to set or hold before or above other persons or things or estimations like, um, I'd rather choose you. I'd rather choose you. Or, Rachel, do you, do you, do you prefer chicken or do you prefer beef? Do you prefer beef? What's your, what's your choice? That's, that's one definition of prefer. Another one is to law. Uh, in law, if you have preference as a creditor, that means that you get paid before the other guy gets paid. And if you're going to walk in love, they get blessed before you get blessed. They get theirs before you get yours. That's what preference is. It's to put forward uh, or present a statement considering, uh, in consideration or a sanction saying, now, if this happens, they get it. 
If this doesn't happen, they get it. If there's only one left, they get it. I prefer Nija in some areas really good and in other areas really bad. Nija, Nija, right here. Okay, in, in, the, in the choice of vehicles, we bought vehicles. We, we don't, we don't pay, make payments on vehicles. We, we don't want that weight on us, so we pay cash. We, we got Nija a used vehicle that was twice the cost of mine. I preferred her. I want her to drive around in the better than I drive around in. Does that make sense? When it comes to Nija, sometimes, sometimes I'm good at preferring her and I will wait and hold. And with Nija, I always have to wait. I hold the door, hold the gate for her. I'm not really good at it, but I'm trying. With Nija, she's much better at this. There's two pieces of chicken on the plate. And one is kind of looking, and the other is just golden brown. It's got the lines from the barbecue on it, you know. It's, you can tell it's going to taste good. She will always give me or the kids the better piece. She prefers. That's what love is. Love is a choice to prefer. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is a choice to care. Care can be an emotion. I care for you. But if I really care for you, guess what I do? I care for you. I do something for you. I take care of you. I, I do things that you can't do. I, I do things to help you. I do things to bless you. I don't expect anything in return. It's, if, if I really care, then I care. But you know what? If you don't really care in your heart, if you care physically by doing something, eventually you're going to start caring in your heart. God made us that way. Let me give you an example. If, have you ever been this way? I just, I just, I just need all new clothes. I, I just hate my closet. I need, to, I, need to, I need to build an addition so I could have a bigger closet so I can take care of all my stuff. And you just, you're just frustrated with your closet. And then one day you decide you're going to empty the whole thing out and you're going to put everything back in. You put it in order. You get rid of some other things. You put your shoes in the right. right. And you got, you got, okay, I got jackets here. I got sweaters here. I got, I got full sleeve shirts here. I got flannels here. I got dress shirts here. I got, I got half shirts here. Guess what? I was caring for my closet, and now I like my closet. I, begin, I care for the things I care for. I found the same thing with my vehicle. I'll be driving my vehicle, and I'll say, I don't like, I don't like this vehicle. I, I really like to get, I'm just, this thing needs so much work. I just, I'm going to get a new one someday. I just, I just don't like this vehicle. But if I wash it, and I detail it, and I get the oil changed, and I get a tune-up, get some of that armor all on the dash, and Windex it, guess what? I get into my car and I, I'm kind of drawn to it. I like it because I care for the things I care for. And if you don't care for people, that tells me you're not caring for people. If you want to care for people, then care for them. If you want to have a feeling of wanting to be around that person, or even if you just want to be able to tolerate them, then begin to care for them, add something to them, subtract from you. See, we don't owe God anything for salvation, but we owe people something because of our salvation. No, brother, I'm free. Salvation is free. 
But you have an obligation to people. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 13. Owe nothing to anyone except for the obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. For the commandment says you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and the other commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself because love does no wrong to others and love fulfills the requirements of the law. Do you hear me? Now, you, we like the part that if we love, then it fulfills all of our requirements of the law. But you still have a debt. And you're never going to pay it in full. Your, your, your benefits, your emotional state, your time, they've been taxed. God put a tax on you. And, and, and you, it's going to be garnished one way or the other. Even the blessing of God is taxed. Everybody says, no, what are you teaching? You're teaching the law. No, I'm not. You're saved through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. You can't do anything, anything more to get saved than, than to believe and to trust. But if you want to live in the blessing of God, you better pay your tax. And this is what you owe. You owe love to one another. You know why we fail? Because when we hear that, we think, I have to like everybody. If I liked everybody, there would be no cost to the love. When I don't like somebody or I prefer myself over them, which is easier to say, if I prefer that I get it, then they get it, then all I have to do is I have to draw on the love of God that's been shed abroad in my heart and apply that to whatever I do, which makes it not wonderfully pleasant, but it makes it doable. And the more I do that, then all of a sudden my heart begins to change toward those people. If you don't like people, oh God, I know there's some people in here that don't like people. If you don't like people, then you're not paying your tax. You're not paying your debt. If you don't, because I know if you were paying the tax, if you were paying your debt, if, you're, if, if your blessing was getting garnished and you were sacrificing and loving others by doing something for them or caring for them or preferring them, guess what? You would start to like people because you care for the things you care for. The same is true with the church. It's an easy example. If, if, if somebody steps up and they take a responsibility of the church, Art is a wonderful example. Art, Art caught something I said about two months ago. I said, I don't know why. I'm mowing the lawn uh, on Saturday when we got all these people on campus. And you know what? He lives down at the end. He's got his own house, his own yard to take care of. But almost every day he comes up here old school with a bucket and his dog and a, what, a tool, a knife. I don't know. what. He just digs out the weeds and he, he takes the rocks out of the soil and he trims. He's been doing this for two months and the campus is looking great. But do you know what's happening to Art? Art is beginning to love the church more, right? 
Because he's investing in it. He's caring for it. And so he's, his care for the church increases. And if, guys, if you don't have a care for the church, if you don't love the church, that tells me you're not caring for the church. You're not doing anything to help this thing keep going or to beautify or to, to help people get involved in. You don't have a responsibility. Now, I'm not doing that, saying that for condemnation or to entice you to do something. I just know if you care for something, you will end up caring for it in your heart. Can I get an amen? Now, our Christian experience begins and ends with love. We're not talking ooey-gooey. We're not talking how I feel. We're talking about being a servant. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus said you'd be a servant to all. If you're going to be a servant, that means that you have to care for, you have to prefer, and you have to invest your T-I-M-E, your time, into somebody else's vision, somebody else's purpose, somebody else's life. Now, guys, this is serious. Jesus gave us one commission and one command. And whether you like it or not, when you go to heaven, you're going to be judged. And I just love you enough to tell you, you know what he's going to ask you? Who'd you lead to Jesus? Who'd you lead to me? Who'd you teach about me? That's your mission. And then he's going to pull out this sheet and he's going to say, let's talk about this love thing. This isn't going to keep you out of heaven. It's going to change your experience in heaven. That's a whole another teaching. We'll all be judged, the Bible says, in New Testament, for what we've done in the body, good or bad. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for repentance. Can I get an amen? But hold on. He, he's going to judge us in the law of due diligence. He's going to say, listen, I gave you this amount. I gave you this talent. What did you do with it? And I'll tell you, the only way that you're going to increase those bags of silver, the only way that it's going to multiply is when you invest it into the lives of others can I get an amen one mission one command today we're talking about the command and our Christian experience begins and it ends with love in 2nd John chapter there is no chapter in 2nd John 2nd John verse 5 the apostle writes I am writing to remind you dear friends that we should love one another Oh, that's nice. It's a reminder. Then he says, this is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another just as you've heard from the beginning. See, when you got born again, you loved everybody. You loved everybody so much, you even thought, gosh, am I supposed to love the devil? Come on, how many, have I, how many had that thought? If I'm supposed to love everybody, am I supposed to love the devil too? Oh, come on now, he's been judged. But the love was shed abroad in your heart. You loved everybody. And then it took you some time, it took you some season before you began to shrink that love up and then you just loved those that you wanted to love. And now you look just like he used to look, except for you're saved. But people can't identify you as saved because you don't love. 
Oh God, this is hard. I don't mean for this to be this hard. The fruit, the number one fruit of being born again, of having a relationship with Jesus, is that we love one another. Remember, it's easy to love an invisible God. It's hard to love the physical God. Well, you're part of the body of Christ. It's easy to love the Jesus who you probably have never seen face to face. It's hard to love the Jesus that is in the church. This word love in 2 John is the word agape. Agape means to actively doing what the Lord prefers. It's a discriminating affection which involves a choice which is followed up by an action. If I'm going to love Trish and I'm going to, Trish, I'm going to say, what does God want for her? And if I have it, it's hers. And then I give it. Guys, it could be just as simple as a word of encouragement. It could be a pat on the back. It could be a hug. It could be that you see that person sitting by themselves and you walk all the way across the room just to say hello, even though you have to go to the bathroom. God knows I've done that hundreds of times. I'm going, yeah, I got, but nobody's talking to him. That's what love does. We don't love by our own strength or our own nature. We can't do it. We can't do it. The God kind of love is endless. And that endless love lives in you. Now I'm going to read, a, I'm going to read some scripture here and I want you to stay connected with me. Please, please stay connected with me. It's a lot of scripture. Stay connected, okay? 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Now, anyone who loves is a child of God, and you know God. But anyone who does not love, anyone who doesn't make this choice and, and, and prefers, anyone who doesn't make this choice and serves, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let me help you out. Well, I better go on, because I've got to say that first. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. Now, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us first and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to. Remember, it's a command. Love each other. No one has seen God, but if we love each other, God lives us in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I love God. You. Mm. I'll give anything to God. You might be lying to yourself. But you, I got my limitations. I'll do anything God wants. Uh, but I don't know if I want to do it for you. But when we love God that way and then we love others, we have that image of the cross, then, then that love of God is not only in us, it's working through us. God sees it and our love is strengthened 
and now it's complete. But in an area that I say, I don't want to do that for that person. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. Then in that area, you can't see God moving. In that area, in that relationship, you can't see God in that other person. I guarantee it. If you don't love that other person, then you are blind in that area. And you may say, God's taken care of it, but you're lying because you're not loving them. That's his words. I'll show you. And you're saying, something's wrong on the inside, something's wrong on the inside, something's wrong on the inside. God's withholding himself from me. No, he's not. You're withholding yourself from that person which is keeping you from God. It goes on in verse 19. It says, if we loved each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Everybody say command. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must love their fellow believers. Is it an option? I can sense it, so I need to say it. Love doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries. When you love somebody, that doesn't mean that you expose yourself to be hurt. There are people that you have to love from a distance. There are people that you have to love, did you hear me? That you love them from a distance. But when you get up close, they're going to push your buttons. They're, they're probably family. They're, they're going to find the buttons you thought Jesus removed. They're going to recreate them and they're going to push them. They're going to pull that thing. They're, they're going to pull that lever and you thought it was gone. And you're going to feel like you're a seven-year-old all over again. It's okay to love people with boundaries. Now, God's love is boundless. But if somebody has hurt you over and over and over again, sometimes you have to love them from a great distance. And you set some boundaries. We're not talking about you being, you being a sacrifice. We're talking about God's love being a sacrifice through you, but yet he'll give you wisdom when you need to have the boundaries. We know God loves us. And we put our trust in God's love. And all who, all who live, all who love, live in God. All who love, live in God. Let, let me say it this way. When you love each other, you're able to live out of God's love. When you don't love each other, you're doing a lot by your own strength. It's very hard to hear God very hard to see God and, and you're walking your life's you're walking in a lie now and God's saying man all you got to do is love I'll help you all you got to do is care I'll help you all you got to do is give and I'll help you I'll do it through you I'll do it with you Yes, it's going to take effort. And it's going to feel like you're crucifying yourself sometimes. And it does, and it hurts. But you know what? There's resurrection life after it every single time. Because when you love others, you're living out of God's love. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. We see it more completely. So we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment, but, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus did on the earth. Remember the context? Jesus gave his life. He loved so much that he gave his life. So we're living like Jesus. We're giving our, our we're supposed to be giving our life to one another, but we have, 
we have trouble giving five minutes. Because I've got an agenda. And we can be around me. I've got a schedule. I, I've got 24 things to fit into about 10 slots. And I'm learning how to walk slowly through a room instead of walking to where I'm supposed to go with purpose. To take the time to live out of God's love with people that may be in need. See, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face, we can face him with confidence because we live, we're living like Jesus. We're living in love. Such love has no fear because perfect love, everybody says, oh, God loves me, so I'm not afraid. That's not what he's talking about. Such love has no fear because perfect love, a love where you're loving others with God, drives out all fear. It expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's because we have a fear of punishment. And that shows that we have, you know what it shows? Not that you need to build your faith. Not that you need to get in the Bible more. Not that you need to, you need to be anointed with oil. That means, what it shows is that we have not fully experienced his love, which means we're probably not loving somebody around us. Somebody says, I don't know, they're going, they've had a born-again experience, and they say, I don't know, I really don't know if I'm going to heaven. Probably have a love problem. There's probably somebody really close to you that God's been speaking to you about that you just walled off. Ask God what to do. Ask God how to do it. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what the circumstance would be. I don't know what the, what the act of caring would be. I, I don't know what the sacrifice or the gift would be. I don't know, but I do know love adds something to somebody else, and it usually subtracts from us. It's a sacrifice, because that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed, and that's how we're to live, like Jesus on the earth. You know, not necessarily walking on water and turning, turning water into wine. I mean, that would be cool. I'd like to do those things. But I'm supposed to walk like he did, which is in sacrificial love. Just simply mean I subtract from myself and I add to somebody else. Now, John three sixteen. you all know this. See, love is a choice. It's followed up by an action. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. We're not here to judge people outside of the church. We're not here to try to get our son-in-law to quit drinking we don't exist in the body of Christ to tell somebody that you know I don't know if those cigarettes are sending you hell but you sure smell like I think hell smells judging people won't bring them to God loving people will help them see God in you as you love God, that's going to be obvious. And when you love others, that complete picture of salvation is there. And people are drawn to that love. They'll know that you're his disciples by the way that you love each other. It's hard. It's hard. But it's so rewarding. 
And the best reward is when I love other people, I know God more completely. And my salvation is secure. Boy, I talk about my spirit being open when I'm loving people. Wow. Romans chapter 8, 10 says, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says this. In fact, that's the very message that we preach. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. It's a message about faith that we preach. God is love. He loves you enough he gave his son. If you believe in him, you make him the Lord of your life. He'll forgive your sins. He'll recreate your spirit. Then he'll live in you. And that love will be known by you and you can love others and you'll know God better when you do. Love, lead, and teach. If you're here this morning and you know you're struggling with love, if maybe a, a person in your mind kept coming up over and over again or maybe a dozen people kept coming up over and over again in your mind, if maybe leaders in your past have come up. Do you understand that love is first a choice? I'm going to. And secondly, it's followed by something that you do. Pastor Nietzsche and I practice this. It is a discipline in our life. When somebody in ministry or somebody that we really care for does something sharp, destructive, offensive, and it seems judgmental, we won't allow that offense to get in us. So what we do is we make a decision that we're gonna love and Nigel will go out and she'll buy a gift card. Maybe it's to Applebee's, maybe it's to, to Chili's, maybe I know somewhere. And then we write a little card and we say, hey, we just wanted you to know that we appreciate you and we love you. God, don't write in there, uh, we forgive you for what you did, because then all you're doing is passing the offense back to them. Just say, we love you and we appreciate you. And here's a gift. See, it's an act of your love. We put that baby in the mail and we pray over it. Once that goes down into that slot, once that goes out to the outside and we clip it on there, we say, God, you take that offense away from me. I choose to love. So if you get a gift card from us and it says, <laughs> <laughs> if it's very small, <laughs> we love you. If you know there's people in your life that you're not loving, especially in the church, let's give that to God. Would you bow your head right now? And as I pray, I just want you to give that to God. Say, Lord, I give you that person. Name them off. I give you that person. Just do it underneath your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for making it so simple for us. We know it's not easy, it's very difficult, but it's simple. As we love you, we can love others. And Father, as we love others, then they'll see you in us. And then we can lead and we can teach them how to follow you. But we struggle in this area, each and every one of us do. Lord, would you help us? And we're going to give you these people in Jesus' name. We're going to make a decision right now that we are going to love them. You show us what to do. But you, we're going to love them. 
It doesn't mean we're going to expose ourselves to injury again, but we're going to love them. We give you these people right now. Just whisper that name to God. Just whisper that name to God. Just whisper that name to God. In the matchless name of Jesus, help us fulfill this command. Now, if you're here this morning and you need to recommit your heart to Jesus Christ or if you need to make him the Lord of your life, Cole's going to lead you in a prayer. Right where you are right now, check your heart. If you need to put Jesus back on the throne of your life, that's a choice. That's a decision. You make that decision, it will pray with you. We'll put that thing in covenant. Get in your Bible. Start praying. You'll be surprised how fast he'll wrap his arms back around you.